Hi, and welcome to another episode of the RCH Kids Health Info Podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr. Margie Danshan, paediatrician and your host for today, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, Dr. Lexi Frydenberg. Welcome, Lex. Thanks, Margs. It's great to be here. And today we're talking about asthma, one of the most common childhood conditions. From the Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. Asthma actually is so common that one in four children in Australia will have wheeze or asthma diagnosed at some point in their life. And even in clinic this morning, I had a new patient who was three years old who was referred due to, you know, recurrent episodes of wheeze. And the parent's main question was, is this asthma and what does this mean for my child's future? So today we're fortunate to have an asthma expert with us, Dr Shiv Shanthakumar, who's a respiratory paediatrician here at RCH and he diagnoses and manages kids with wheeze and asthma all the time. So welcome, Shiv. Thanks for having me. Shiv, can you talk to us a little bit about kids and wheeze and when a child might just simply have their first episode of a cold virus and wheeze and when that might actually go on to be diagnosed as asthma. Okay, sure. So it, it is a slightly complicated question where there's not it's not easy to give families a yes or no answer. I might start with children six years and older because it's a bit simpler in that age group and then we're going to talk about preschool children after that. So what asthma is, it's a pattern of children who have symptoms of asthma, which is the symptoms are most commonly wheeze and or cough. And these symptoms come intermittently and are triggered by things such as exercise, cold air, or actually the most common trigger is a virus. And then these symptoms get better with asthma treatments. So usually these treatments are reliever treatments. Uh, Salbutamol is the most common one, and it's more commonly known as Ventolin. These asthma treatments come in puffers. In a child who's six and older, if they have a pattern of recurrent episodes of wheezing and or coughing that gets better with asthma treatment, we call it asthma. Okay. And that's easy. And Shiv, maybe just stop there a sec. Yeah. Can you actually describe to parents listening what wheeze actually is? We talk a lot about wheeze as being a sign of asthma. And what that is, is noisy breathing as a result of what's happening in the lungs due to the asthma. The consequence of asthma is that it squeezes those airways. And so those airways go from being nice and big and open to squeezed and much smaller. The best way to picture it is instead of breathing through a big pipe, you're breathing through a narrow little straw. And you can imagine if you're trying to breathe through a narrow little straw, you have to work a lot harder to to do that. So it's not always easy for a parent to know if their child is wheezing. It's not something they can necessarily hear, although sometimes they can. If you imagine, say, you're looking at yourself in the mirror, what it looks like when you're working really hard to breathe, that's what you might notice in your child. So you'll notice things like their chest might be moving more, the skin in between their ribs might be sucking in, and the skin just in their neck and underneath their rib cage might be sucking in as well. Yeah, and in our videos, we've got some videos of both younger and older children who are working hard to breathe with asthma. So you can watch those and just get a feel for what it looks like. I actually often ask parents to take a video of their child when they're having an asthma episode and bring it to me in clinic so we can go through it together and just point out those signs. 
Yeah, I think those signs of work of breathing is something we can really help parents to look out for uh, because often, as you say, Shiv, you don't hear the wheeze. So to be able to see them working harder to breathe might be that sign that you need to give them the, the Ventolin or the reliever medicine. And I think also for parents and, and the child to notice after they've taken the reliever medication how those signs differ. So if they look again in the mirror or the parents are watching them, they'll often notice they'll breathe a bit slower. They might be able to talk in full sentences, whereas before that they were really struggling to get a word out. They might not be sucking in as much at their throat or in between their ribs. So the before and after is really important. If a child has never wheezed before and they just get a normal cold virus, runny nose, and then the parents notice this sort of work of breathing and the doctor tells them that their child has wheeze, then what would you say to them then? Uh, yeah, one one episode of wheezing doesn't mean that someone has asthma. So... Uh, the other slightly frustrating thing about asthma is there's no test, there's no blood test or or no, you can't diagnose it based on an x-ray or a blood test. It's what we call a clinical diagnosis. So a health professional has to listen to the story and then say, yes, based on that, uh, I think your child has asthma. And so you need to, to be diagnosed with asthma. You, a child needs to have recurrent episodes of wheezing. So, so multiple episodes. And then children can wheeze for other reasons. And so particularly in the preschool age group, a number of children will wheeze as a normal response to a viral infection. And that does not mean that they have asthma. And so in the preschool age group, it can be hard to tell if I have a child who is wheezing every time they get a viral infection, is, but in between those times, they're completely well with no wheeze. Is this a child who has asthma or is it just a child who's getting recurrent viral infections, which is part of normal preschool life. And I think that's actually a question that parents ask us all the time, especially with that first episode of wheeze. Well, does this mean my child has asthma? Yes. So we've got a listener question now that actually talks about this very point. Hi, my name is Jonathan. My partner and I have just had a baby girl who's five months old. I've been suffering from asthma since I was a young boy. However, I've noticed a few um, times recently our baby has started to maybe wheeze or be short of breath. I just wanted to um, check in to see if, um, you know, I should be going to seek some medical advice or taking her to the GP to see what's going on. Looking forward to your response. Thanks. In general, it, it would be very rare for us to make a diagnosis of asthma in someone under 12 months of age. So I would say that your daughter is unlikely to have asthma at this point in time. I think it's a good idea for, for you to see your GP just to get a checkup to see what else could be going on. And then also, if, if we talk about um, factors that increase a child's risk of having asthma, a, a family history and a first degree relative, so you mentioned that you are an asthma, uh, you have asthma, that increases your daughter's risk. And if she has other diseases that are related to asthma, so this is things like eczema, food allergies, and hay fever, that also increases her risk, but it doesn't mean she will definitely have asthma. It just means that she has an increased risk. And, and Shiv, under the age of 12 months, we often don't refer to episodes of wheeze as asthma anyway. We more tend to use a term called bronchiolitis. So yeah, in under 12-month-olds, we really don't think about asthma. So we, if the episodes are induced by viruses, we think about whether this is bronchiolitis or not, which is just a self-limiting illness that will get 
better. And, that, and that's inflammation of the very small airways of the lungs. Yes. And so, yeah, in a baby, you can imagine the very small airways are tiny. And if they become a little bit inflamed, it means the breathe, uh, it's harder for the air to get in and out. And that causes noisy breathing. So why don't we call it asthma under one? What is the reason for that? It's sort of the same thing going on in the small airways that they get narrower and you get that, that whistling or wheezing sound as the child breathes. Why isn't it called asthma? Yeah. So one is that if we use the treatments that we use for asthma, so relievers such as salbutamol or Ventolin, that uh, in the vast majority of uh, infants under one, they will demonstrate no response. So whilst these children may have a similar picture with wheeze, they don't respond to asthma treatment. The second thing is saying that someone has asthma implies that uh, this is likely to be a long-term problem. That's something they're going to deal with for a long time. Uh, whereas we know that most infants who get bronchiolitis won't have recurrent episodes as they get older. So calling it asthma is not accurate. Okay, so we've talked about the little infants and we won't use the word asthma for those children, more likely bronchiolitis. What about the preschoolers? How do they differ than our school-aged children with wheeze? And why does it matter if we call it preschool wheeze or asthma? In preschool age children, a number of children will have wheeze in response to viral infections. And a number of those children will respond to asthma treatments, but they don't have wheeze episodes triggered by anything else. And they grow out of it. So it might happen when they're two and three, but by the time they're four, five, six, they've grown out of it. And in that case, there is some hesitation to use the asthma diagnosis because this is a phenomenon that's seen in a number of children and they grow out of it, so we don't want to give them the asthma label. In saying that, we give them asthma treatment to relieve the symptoms, so it can be very confusing. For me, because the management is the same, I don't get as caught up with the labels, is this asthma or not asthma? Because if a child is wheezing short of breath or struggling to breathe over one year of age, I will give a trial of the medication that helps reverse that airway um, inflammation and, and narrowing. 100% the way I think about it as well. I wish I could give families a really clear prediction of the future of whether there's going to be asthma or not, but unfortunately we can't. And I think the main thing I hope each family has is a clear plan for what to do if those symptoms occur. So once you get past the preschool wheeze period, if they're still having episodes of recurrent wheeze at school, then they're more developing it's sort of a typical pattern of asthma. So really by that stage, we are confident that if that's happening, that you're, you're an asthmatic and then there's no hesitation about calling it asthma and we have a clear idea of what management institute. And in those children, are you more likely to see that atopy that you referred to with eczema and hay fever? Yeah, so it's more, it, those things are commonly seen, but you can still have a child who has nothing else so no other uh, related diseases who still has asthma. Which I think is really important as a parent to know what your child's triggers are. So I think we've talked about viral infections. I think exercise is another common oh, one absolutely. that we uh, haven't mentioned as yet. Uh, emotion can trigger it. Uh, allergen exposure. So things that, yeah, like pollen. For some kids, it's certain animals or smoke would be a common one. Uh, and, and it can be secondhand smoke exposure just via clothing or, or furniture.
in terms of treatment, should we deep dive a little bit into that? Yeah, I think that would be good. It's certainly nice to have an opportunity to reflect on the pattern of wheeze as kids get older, as we've just done. So Shiv, maybe you can talk to us a little bit because I know that the way we treat wheeze in preschoolers and primary school age children and then of course adolescents is quite different. So maybe you can just step us through that. There are two things I think about. One is helping the child whilst they are having asthma symptoms. And the other is thinking about, is there anything we can do to prevent these from occurring? So for a preschool child to help them when the symptoms are occurring, we use a reliever treatment such as salbutamol or Ventolin. So this is the blue puffer that's given via a spacer and a mask. And we give an asthma action plan so that parents have a clear idea of how many puffs to give, how often, and how to use it. So what to do when the child's acutely unwell, short of breath, or wheezing or coughing? Yes. The other thing I'd do is think about, is there anything that we can do to try and prevent those episodes from occurring? And so there are some simple things like avoiding triggers. So say, for example, if cigarette smoke is a trigger, trying to avoid cigarette smoke or making sure vaccinations are up to date to minimise the risk of viral infections. And then there is a group of some preschool children who may benefit from having a preventative puffer. So that would be a puffer that they take every day to try and prevent these symptoms from occurring. The most commonly used preventer would be a a puffer that has a steroid. Asthma is triggered by inflammation in the lungs and a steroid is a form of anti-inflammatory, so it helps to prevent that from occurring. And these puffers are puffers that should be taken every day uh, to try and help prevent them. Preventer medication is usually prescribed by the GP or a paediatrician or a respiratory doctor. Um, you can't buy that over the counter, which is different than Ventolin or Salbutamol. You can buy that over the counter. But these preventers are used if a child has more significant um episodes, they have severe asthma, but also importantly, if they have symptoms of cough or shortness of breath with exercise in between episodes of asthma. Correct. Only a small number of children in the preschool age group would meet those criteria. Okay. So most preschoolers will have a reliever medication, but will not need a prevent medication. Correct. And so how does that differ from the way you would approach it for primary school age children, Shiv? Yeah, so primary school age children are the same in that we talk about a reliever therapy and the need for preventer therapy. In terms of the reliever therapy, exactly the same using uh, salbutamol or Ventolin. The main difference is a bigger proportion or a bigger number of those children will be on a preventer. The preventers are the same preventers, though. And then what about the older kids, like the over 12-year-olds? Yeah, so this this is where there has been some recent updates with a, a new treatment option for people who are 12 years and older. So we know that people 12 years and older need some form of anti-inflammatory treatment. So as I mentioned before, they should have, they need uh some form of inhaled steroid to help reduce the inflammation in the lungs. Now, there's two ways that this can be given. It can be given in a steroid puffer that's taken every day, just like I mentioned some kids have in the younger age groups. But the other option that is available for people 12 years and older is they can use a puffer called budesonide and and formoterol, which is more commonly known as Simbacort, and that has an inhaled steroid in it. And they can just take that puffer whenever they have symptoms.
that puffer that you just mentioned is a combination of the Ventolin type medication, which we use when a child has narrowing of their airway or symptoms at the time, and then the steroid as well in combination. Yeah, so it has the two benefits. So one, the uh, it has a medication that's a relative of Ventolin, and that helps to open up the airways that have become small. And it actually is a longer lasting action than Ventolin, so it should give some relief for about 12 hours. And then the other thing it does is it has an anti-inflammatory, so it helps to reduce any swelling in the airways. So it's the combination of that that makes it more effective. So this is a real change in practice because previously we've managed our adolescents as we've managed our younger children, but this is really new practice that's currently being changed. New guidelines are going to be coming out and I think it's really helpful for parents to know about this. I suppose one of my questions is why do we worry about adolescents and teenagers with asthma? So we worry about teenagers with asthma because unfortunately we know that that this group is a high-risk group for having untreated asthma. And as a result of having untreated asthma, having more severe episodes where they can end up in hospital and in the most extreme circumstances, teenagers can die from their asthma. That's really important to remember. Our younger kids get lots of episodes of asthma, might present to emergency many times, but are often recover quite well from it. We have to be a little more vigilant with our teenagers. Do you think that's because they're not taking their medication? Certainly one of the things can be uh, not wanting to take the medications or often teenagers' lives are very busy, so wanting to take them but just forgetting. Two can be uh, puffers are usually best taken with a spacer. And so you can imagine as a teenager, you don't want to be carrying around a puffer and a spacer when you go to school or to go to hang out with your friends. And then three, even in adolescents who take the puffers exactly as they're asked to, they still can have severe episodes for reasons that we don't fully understand. Perhaps it's related to the hormonal changes of adolescence or we're not really sure. So, So there are, even independent of taking the medication or not, there are adolescents is a high risk time. And I think it's important to point out there there are the medications for adolescents that are in a different form and not necessarily a puffer and spacer. So there are options. You can speak to um, your doctor about a, something called a turbuhaler or an accuhaler, which are a lot easier for adolescents to use and therefore the, hopefully they'll be a bit more compliant and able to use it more regularly. You don't have to remember to take it every day. You just have to take it when you need it. And two, it will just fit in your pocket and you don't need a spacer. So it's much easier for people to take. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big game changer. So the other thing I think it's important to mention is children with food allergies and who have had anaphylaxis are more at risk of having a severe asthma episode. Do you want to talk to that a bit? Yes. So that is a particularly high risk group. And we definitely think that that group of children need to be on anti-inflammatory treatment to reduce their risk of a severe episode. So usually that would be recommended in the form of a, uh, one of those steroid puffers each day. Or they can take their the uh, budesonide formoderol or Simbacort, they can take that morning and night and then as they need it during the day as well. We might take a, another listener question now. Hi, my name's Vanessa and I was hoping to hear if there's been any children with severe asthma that have had COVID and how they've done with it or if there's any research around children with COVID. Thank you. Thanks for that question. So I think that there's two points to touch on. So one is that our experience to date is that 
COVID does not seem to, in children, trigger asthma symptoms. And two, specifically in the severe asthma population, to date we've not seen evidence that that group of children, if infected with COVID, uh, experiences a more severe illness. We do see that the COVID, the COVID virus is continuously evolving and we don't know if that situation could change in the future. And as a result, I do advise all my patients to get vaccinated with a vaccine as soon as it's available. And I think that's why uh, children with severe asthma are included as one of the priority groups for vaccination so that they are protected as soon as possible. Yeah, thanks, Shiv. So we have been very fortunate, obviously, since the start of the pandemic that kids have not become as unwell as adults from from COVID illness. And it's great to hear that that's the same for, for asthma and episodes of wheeze. And I'm sure parents will be really reassured to hear that. Now it'd be good to actually just step back, I suppose, and and hear your thoughts on how we can best manage asthma overall for kids, especially given that it's a really chronic illness for for the kids that we're talking about now. I think that often kids with asthma get medical attention when they're unwell, but I do think it's good to think of it like a chronic disease that we can try to prevent and minimise the impact of. And the best way to do that is to have a long-term relationship with a health professional, be it a GP or a paediatrician, who you see regularly and you guys work together to make sure that the treatment that your child is receiving gives the best chance of minimising the impact on your child's life. I think one of our big roles is education. So I spend a lot of time with my families um, talking about asthma, what to look out for in their particular child, what their child's triggers may be. Some children with preschool wheeze or early onset asthma may grow out of it. That's a very common pattern. But other children who um, have asthma and it persists, I think it's really important they have a a regular GP or paediatrician they touch base with. Lex, you mentioned as paediatricians we have a role, but of course um, for many families it's their GP that they see regularly, that knows their family and follows their child over time. Um, and, And of course some may see a respiratory physician like Shiv uh, very frequently as well. So Shiv, who do the respiratory physicians here at the Children's Hospital see? So I think we see two groups. One group would be the children where the diagnosis is uncertain and sometimes a a specialist opinion is needed about that. And then two, the second group is the group who have asthma, who have the most Uh, severe asthma that is difficult to control with commonly used treatments. I must say, as a paediatrician, I think one of the most, um, one of the the biggest roles I think I can play is to still help parents understand the difference between the acute reliever medications and the chronic preventative medications, because I think they often get confused. And having the opportunity when you review regularly with a GP or a paediatrician to go over the asthma management plan, to talk about the plan when the child is acutely unwell and and having difficulty breathing and, and using the, the Ventolin. Um, but then, of course, just how important the preventer is, that it's something that needs to be taken every day, how it relieves the inflammation in the airway and that sort of mucus and so on. Um, and I think parents often need that explained to them again and again because it is sort of hard to, to get their head around. I, I would really encourage people to look at those videos that Lexi mentioned because often when we speak to families, they maybe haven't 
had the education about what asthma is or, or what is the right way to use your puffer. And so it's actually something as simple as just getting the technique right. And this is the experience of severe asthma clinics around the world, that often it's the simple basics like when to take your medications and how to take them properly. That helps the management of a child with asthma in the vast majority of the cases. And very, very few kids need uh, these specialised treatments for severe asthma. That's particularly true, I think, with the use of spaces for yeah. children. You know, often a, a family will come into clinic and they've been using the Ventolin puffer straight into the child's mouth without the spacer yes. and having the opportunity to explain, you know, why the space is important, how that helps the medicine get down into the lungs better. So maybe you can explain that better than I can. If you use a puffer and it's straight into the mouth, the medication just goes onto your gums and your tongue and that's not where it's needed. Whereas if you use it with a spacer, then the medication is breathed in and it travels all the way down to your lungs and that's where asthma is occurring and so that's where it's needed. When you're reviewing teenagers with asthma, Shiv, it's a good opportunity, isn't it, to actually see what else might be causing them to think that they're having more symptoms of asthma or increasing their amount of preventer? Yeah, definitely. So so every time I see an asthma patient, I, in my head, I almost go back to square one and think, is asthma what's causing the, the issues that my patient is uh, dealing with? Because sometimes it can be something different. So something that we see a lot in our teenage patients who may have a history of asthma or may not have a history of asthma is that they have breathing trouble, uh, particularly with exercise. And often that is actually a feature of anxiety, which we know is very common in our teenagers, rather than being a feature of asthma. And sometimes those teenagers can end up on quite a lot of asthma treatment, where in fact, if they are assessed and, and evaluated, it's not really asthma at all. As you say, it's anxiety. Yeah, because you can imagine that if someone's thought to have asthma, and the first treatment doesn't work, well, then you go to the next strength of asthma treatment and the next strength of the next strength, whereas really if you if the underlying diagnosis is uh, that it's anxiety, it's never going to get better with asthma treatment. We've talked a lot about um, parents looking after their children and their children's asthma, but a lot of kids spend time with grandparents, carers, coaches in sport. What recommendations or what do you advise them to understand about the child's asthma? So I think there's two things. One is that every child should have an asthma action plan. This tells people, be it a parent or a coach or a grandparent, exactly how much, how many puffs of the reliever puffer to give and how to give it and how often to give it. And then the second thing is making sure that puffer is available. So if you go to a grandparent's house or a friend's house or soccer training, that that puffer is easily available with the action plan so that the child can get help. Okay. So I think you really helped us um, remember the best practice now is for children with asthma, chronic asthma, to have a good GP that they have a relationship with or a specialist such as a paediatrician or respiratory physician to check in regularly, make sure they have a yearly asthma action plan, both for home and school, and really to make sure that the medication is right, the technique is right, and always question if they're needing more medication, is this the right diagnosis? Are we missing something? And I think we want to leave with the message of hope. Kids with asthma, 
should be able to live a very normal, active life. We've got medications that can control their asthma and with good quality care, they shouldn't be deprived of doing anything any other kids do. Shiv, thank you so much for being with us today. This is a really important issue for for parents and kids. It's very common. I think it's often misunderstood. So thank you so much. My pleasure and thanks for having me. We'll link some of the information we've talked about and the resources in our show notes today. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.